I don't know if if anyone else is, but I've always been fascinated with the book of Daniel, and, and in particular because it lays out history in such detail. And it lays out history in such detail that for for uh, for many centuries, they didn't believe Daniel was really, uh, they thought it was a newer book. They, you know, the textual critics and the critics of the Bible believed it would be impossible for a man to actually see and foresee and foretell these, these historical events in such detail. Um, but once again, the Bible proves history and archaeology is correct um, as it's written here. Um, and we know that Daniel was not a new book written about former things. It's an old book written about things that were yet to happen. Jesus quotes from the book of Daniel. And... Um, if you believe the Bible is the infallible and errant word of God as inspired by the Holy Spirit through the writers of Scripture, then there's no reason for us to believe that God could not give Daniel a prophetic vision of things that would happen centuries in the future, no matter how detailed it is. So we looked at, uh, in the beginning of Daniel, we looked at the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And remember this great image of a human, of a man, um, head of gold, arms and chest of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, and then legs and feet of iron and clay mixed. And we said the, the interpretation that was given to Daniel was these are four kingdoms. Well, in Daniel chapter 7, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Now, Belshazzar is the guy... And I think, we, I think we covered this last, last week, but Belshazzar is the guy that's having the feast. Remember, him and all of his Babylonians are huddled up in the city of Babylon thinking that the Persians are never going to be able to overthrow it because they've got provision for 20 years. And, um, and Cyrus figures out, or Darius figures out a way to... Um, um, Cyrus figures out a way to overthrow those embank and in those uh, walls, and he dams up and diverts the river, and they go through the water gate and overthrow the city. So one thing I think that's important here, that's in Daniel chapter 5, if I remember correctly, uh, the handwriting on the wall. Uh, and that Chapter 5 basically records for the, us the end of Belshazzar and the overthrow of Babylon. When we get to Daniel chapter 7, we have in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and a vision of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream telling the main facts. I think this is important because we have the tendency, I think, to believe that scripture is written chronologically and it's not. So for instance, the book of Revelation, there are many people who teach it as though it's written in chronological form, but it, it's not written in chronological form. And we see the examples of this in scripture. 
And right here in Daniel, we see that in Daniel's record, he writes in chapter 5 what happens to Belshazzar. But when we get to chapter 7, he goes back to the first year of Belshazzar and he records his dream and his vision. This isn't a mistake. This isn't a different Belshazzar. This is, this is the way historical writings and, and, and uh, prophetic writings very often um, are, are done. And so don't be disturbed by that. Uh, and, and let this help you understand how the book of Revelation is written. Um, don't get caught up in the chronology of things. It's the same way in the Gospels. Not everything recorded in the gospel, chronology is not the most important thing. And so sometimes you'll see things that are not in chronological order, but they're, they're there to, to give us a picture, to help us understand what's happening. We're a very chronological people in a very chronological culture. We live by the clock, and you have to remember, through most of human history, that wasn't the case. And so, um, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel has this dream and visions of his head. Uh, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. The great sea is the Mediterranean Sea, by the way. And the four beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, It was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said to thus, and they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one coming up among them, before whom... Three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. Now, this is not a study on the book of Daniel, so I'm not going to go into this, but let me just point out that then Daniel has a vision of the Ancient of Days, of thrones put in place, of of the Ancient of Days seated, his garment white as snow, his hair and his beard uh, white, as pure as wool. You go on down, and in the same vision, he's watching, and he's listening to the pompous words of this horn speaking. Um, you go on down, and, and it says in verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, 
coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him, and dominion in his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So this, this should all sound somewhat familiar. So this is parallel to what Daniel interpreted from King Nebuchadnezzar's vision of that image with four types of metal descending down the, the image. And remember, there was a rock cut out without hands from this mountain, and this rock became a mountain that filled the earth, and it was described as a kingdom that shall not be destroyed, shall have no end, but will endure forever. Well, we have the same, same description here of uh, this one whom he saw coming uh, to the Ancient of Days. And by the way... Um, This language in Daniel is the language we also see in Matthew. Um, Matthew 24, 30. Jesus says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. We typically interpret Matthew 24, 30 there to be the second coming, a future event. But I want to submit to you Go back to Daniel, go back to the vision Daniel had and read that again and look at that again and realize that Jesus is saying to his disciples and he says it again later to the men who are um, um, questioning him, the high priest and his people getting ready to send him to Pilate to be crucified. Jesus basically quotes this vision that Daniel has and he says, I'm the guy. I'm the one like the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days. The kingdom is mine. And so in Matthew 24, verse 30, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Then he says to the high priest and the men interrogating him, it's recorded for us in Matthew 26, 64, Jesus said to him, it is as you said, Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's a direct reference to, to this vision that Daniel has. And that's when the uh, people there interrogating Jesus tore their robes and said, what more proof do we need? He has committed blasphemy. He basically has called himself God. And yes, he did because he is God. So then we get down to verse 15, back to Daniel. And, and Daniel says, now you have to realize here, Daniel is recording for us his vision, but that does not necessarily mean that Daniel recorded everything he saw and everything he felt and everything he experienced in that vision. And the reason I believe, I, if you've ever written trying to express those things, it's, it's, it's difficult to do very often, but also um, you can take many, many pages to just write something that can be very quick in a, 
in a thought, in a dream, a vision, an experience. And the reason I believe that's the case here is because in verse 15, it says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body. So it's not just he's having emotional uh, distress. He's having physical and emotional distress. I was grieved in my spirit within my body and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. And then he says, those great beasts, the lion, the bear, the leopard, and then that tin-headed monster, these are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast. So in particular, the fourth beast, the one with ten heads, the one with huge teeth of iron that was crushing and destroying everything, very similar to the legs of iron, feet of iron mixed with clay that was trampling and grinding to dust every other kingdom and everything else. He was interested in this fourth beast, which was different from all the others. And if you study history and you look at the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was different from all the others. It was indeed in many, many ways. It was different from all others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron, its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head and the other horns which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. Very consistent with the image Nebuchadnezzar saw. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole of heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept this matter in my heart. So what Daniel saw troubled him exceedingly. 
Now, bear with me for just a moment here. So what, remind me, what does Paul say in Ephesians chapter 6? Who do we wrestle against? Yes. Who, so our, our warfare is not with what? Flesh and blood. Now, there's a way we need to understand that as true. There's a way we need to not misunderstand that. That doesn't mean we don't fight real battles in our bodies on this earth, in our flesh. We do. And that we are opposed. I submit to you that what Daniel was so troubled by, he saw the carnage that took place against God's people, flesh and blood being killed brutally killed, systematically killed by these who were opposing God. I think, I think it's fair to say he saw that prophetically and that troubled him greatly because we know those things happened and, and they're still happening, but we're talking about history here. Now, there is a way that you can... Uh, Read Daniel here and think of it as yet a future event that's to happen. There's another way I want to encourage you to think about it as not that it, it, it won't happen again. Persecution and opposition against God's people. But remember, he's seeing specific kingdoms. And we know from history, these kingdoms have, have come to fruition. They've come to pass. In fact, they've come and they've gone. And now there is another kingdom that has come into this world, a kingdom cut out without hands, a stone that is growing into a mountain that will fill the earth. So think about that language. That was the language used in, in, the, in the dream Nebuchadnezzar had. You saw in your dream, O king, a stone that was cut out without hands. And that stone came and crashed the feet of that image. And then that stone ground the powder, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the clay. And it was blown away like the chaff blows away in the wind, like dust in the wind. And what remained, the kingdom that will not be destroyed, the kingdom that has no end, this stone cut out without hands that will grow into a mountain that will fill the earth. Now we have another vision, not by the king of Babylon, but by the prophet of God, Daniel. And his vision parallels almost exactly the, the same dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Now, I want to... Um, I want you to go real quickly over to the book of John, chapter 12. Now remember, in this dream that Daniel had in his head, this vision, it's not just these four kings, these four kingdoms, but then he had a vision of the Ancient of Days. And I think we know who this is. This is, this is God. And in that vision, he has, he has a vision of one like the Son of Man coming to the Ancient of Days to receive a kingdom. I think we understand who that is. 
And I read you those scriptures where Jesus used the very language from Daniel to describe himself. And he says to those Pharisees, you will see the son of man coming on the clouds. When Jesus said that to those Pharisees, was he talking about a coming that's yet to happen? That's now thousands of years in the future from what he said? No. He says to them specifically, you will see the son of man coming in the clouds. So we need to understand what that means or we'll misunderstand what it means. So let's go over here to John chapter 12. We're still on the timeline. We're just taking a little, little uh, uh, side trip here to better understand what we're seeing on the timeline here. John chapter 12. Uh, let's look at verse 30. Let's look at verse, um, I'm sorry, let's look at verse 28. 27, let's start in 27. Jesus says, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said it thundered. Others said, excuse me, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now, everybody say now. Yeah. What, when does now mean? Yeah. Now. So Jesus, this is Jesus speaking here. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now, the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. So Jesus is getting ready. He is ready to go to the cross. It, it's just before they have the Passover and he is ultimately arrested and then crucified. And Jesus knows now his time has come. He knows what's going to transpire in the, in the short days following this statement he makes to his disciples. And he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all Peoples will draw all to myself. He said this signifying by what death he would die. Now, let's go back to Daniel. So remember, Daniel is particularly disturbed by the fourth beast. What? kingdom, what empire does the fourth beast represent? Huh? Rome, the Roman Empire, yes. And so uh, you, the lion with wings, with eagle's wings, that was a symbol of Babylon. They, they dug up uh, those statues. Nebuchadnezzar, that was, that was a very common symbol. 
for Babylon. So the lion with wings as eagles represents Babylon. The bear lifted up on one side with three ribs in its mouth, who was told, go and devour much land, much people. If you look at a map of the Babylonian Empire and then you look at a map of the Persian Empire, the Persian Empire expanded greatly. And why is that bear lifted up on one side? The, the language there pictures like this bear is, and we're going to see it. If, if I, if we'll see it again in a little bit. Like this bear, one side is bigger than the other. Well, this is the Medo-Persian Empire. And it was the Persians who became, later on, it was not the Medo-Persian Empire, it was just the Persian Empire. The Persians were the power there, though it started out the Medo-Persian Empire, but it devoured much land. Um, the leopard, the leopard with wings like a bird who came from the west across the, well, actually that's the he-goat, but this leopard with wings uh, and, and four heads. Um, Wings because he's very fast. Not just he can run fast, but later on in the next vision, we have a he-goat coming from the west, and he travels so fast his feet don't even touch the ground. This is a picture of the Greek empire who expanded so quickly. By his 20s, Alexander the Great had conquered the known world. More territory. He conquered more territory than any other empire. The only other person that conquered more territory than him was Genghis Khan. But Genghis Khan doesn't get really any credit for it because Genghis Khan didn't set up a government and he just conquered territory. He didn't like organize it or anything like that. But um, that leopard, four heads, why four heads? Well, because remember his... When he died, he, he gave his kingdom to his four generals and they divided it north, south, east, and west. Leopard with four heads. That's the Greek empire. But, but then you come to this other image, this terrible beast, the most disturbing beast with ten heads. Unlike any of the other beasts, like, unlike any of the other kingdoms. This is Rome. And what happens during the time of this Thing. These horns come up, pompous words are spoken against the Most High, against the Lord God. And, and it says, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for time, times and half a time. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it forever. And the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord, of our God, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So let me just have you consider for a moment when Jesus says in John 12, Verse 30, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. What is the significance of that when we think about these earthly kingdoms? What is the significance of that while we are still looking for 
something to happen any day or any time in the future when that will come to pass? Or should we look at this and understand that something really happened when Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world is cast out. We could go to the book of Revelation, but we won't do it. When Jesus, when it's recorded in there, when Satan comes to the earth to make war against the saints, it's very similar to what we see right here in Daniel. And what is the book of Revelation? It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of the end of the world. It's not the revelation of the tribulation. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is to reveal Jesus Christ to us. Who's being revealed right here in Daniel? Jesus Christ. What's the point of these four kingdoms? Not just to make interesting history, but the point of these four kingdoms is to bring about the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, let me see. Oh, I knew I should have highlighted this. Hold on one second. Um, I'm so sorry. I think it was in uh, Daniel chapter 8. Just real quick, let's go, let's just look. In Daniel chapter 8, he has another vision in the third year of Belshazzar. So this first vision with four beasts was in the first year of Belshazzar. Now, in the third year of Belshazzar, Daniel has another vision. And in this vision, he sees a ram with two horns... This is in verse, let's go to Daniel 8. Let's look in verse 3. Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other. So here again is a picture of the Medes and the Persians. Two horns, the Medo-Persians, but one horn was higher than the other. The Persians were the power. They were more powerful than the Medes, and they ultimately took over the empire. And this is revealed right here. Now, remember, when this is happening, Babylon is still the empire ruling the world. Persia hasn't conquered them yet. But he has this dream of this ram with two horns, with one horn being higher than the other. And I saw the ram pushing westward. So what direction? Where is the ram positioned if he's pushing westward? He's in the east. Pushing toward the west. And if you look at the Persian Empire, that's exactly what happened. So the Persians, who knows where modern day Persians live today? What nation? Iran. So Iran is not a nation of Arabs. If you call an Iranian an Arab, it's very, uh, very derogatory because they're Persians. And they're very proud. Uh, because they ruled, they were a world-dominating empire at one point. And so the Persians were east of the Babylonians. 
So Babylon was along the Tigris-Euphrates. Susa, which was the capital then of Persia, um, the Persians. Now, Babylon had all this territory, not all of it, but they had much of it. But the Persians were further east. And so what does Daniel see in his, in his vision? He sees this ram with two horns, two high horns, one higher than the other, pushing westward, northward, and southward. So that no animal could withstand him. There was no kingdom that could withstand this king and his kingdom. I... I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, southward. No animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. And ultimately, he did overthrow Babylon and become the power. Verse 5, and as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west. Unexpectedly, suddenly. And this is exactly how it happened because... Who does the male goat represent? Greece. Where is Greece in relation to the Persian Empire once they take over? Well, the Persians go all the way to the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. So if you, you can picture your geography in your head and you, you see modern-day Turkey, well, the, the coast of the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean Sea there, that is the western border of the Persian Empire. Where did the Greeks come from? They came across the sea from Greece. And they came suddenly. So he says, I was considering and suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. That pictures what? This is very speedy. This is happening very fast. Which from history, we know that's exactly how Alexander conquered the world very fast. And he came across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. One horn, a notable horn. <clears throat> then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power, and I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his horns, his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male group goat grew very great. And when he became strong, literally after Alexander had conquered all that he wanted to conquer, he stopped just because he got tired. He went all the way to India, into India. And he stopped and he came, comes back and he's in Babylon. He's in the city of Babylon. That's where he died. I think Alexander was in his early 30s when he died. That notable horn between his eyes um, grew very great. The male goat grew very great. And when he became strong, the large horn was broken. And in its place, four notable horns came up toward the four winds of heaven. That's exactly how Alexander divided his kingdom. So this is a picture of these world empires. Um, so... 
The reason I wanted to, to go through this instead of just giving you a date when these empires were overthrown, the point of God inspiring Daniel with these dreams and visions and recording this in the Bible is ultimately helping us get a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Who's being revealed here in these dreams and visions? Ultimately, it's Jesus. Who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords? He's the stone cut out without hands. He's the one who grows into a mountain that fills the earth, whose kingdom shall never end. We're not waiting for that kingdom to be established. That kingdom is here right now. Jesus said, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Now the judgment of this world is going to take place. And we are kings and priests ruling and reigning with Christ right now on this earth as that stone cut out without hands is growing into a mountain that will fill all of the earth. And the reason God gave that picture of a stone growing into a mountain is because we understand this is a process. This is not going to just happen one day when Jesus is going to come. He's going to conquer everything. That's not the picture given to us in Scripture. That's not the picture given to us in Daniel. It's not the picture given to us in Isaiah. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. I mean, that word, what does that language communicate to you? There's an increase. When we say our children are growing up, they don't, they're not born and boom, instantly they become adults. They grow up. It takes years. It takes a lifetime for them to grow up. How long will it take for the stone cut out without hands to become a mountain that fills the entire earth? More than a lifetime. More than one of our lifetimes. We're now 2,000 years on the other side of the birth of Jesus. And the stone is, the mountain is still growing, but it hasn't completely filled the earth yet. Does that mean his kingdom hasn't come? Does that mean that Jesus really didn't judge the world? Does that mean that he tried to cast out the ruler of this world, but he was unsuccessful? No, not at all. And so when we read this history in Daniel, we need to read it and understand that we're still a part of this. Those four kingdoms represented by all of those images, all those dreams and visions, those have been devoured by the kingdom that is now on this earth. You say, but man, Pastor Jeff, I just, I can't see it. There's so much happening. Yeah, the mountain is still growing. It's still growing. What is the promise God gives us about his kingdom? It may, it may overcome. Maybe it'll grow into a mountain that consumes the world. I don't know. I hope it does. No, the promise is sure. How should we live our lives? We should live our lives as though the promise is sure because it is. We shouldn't live in fear. We shouldn't be looking for the end of the world. We should be looking for the world to be consumed by the kingdom of our God and of our Lord. The one who is the stone cut out without hands. The one pictured in all these dreams and visions. And what we know is God gave these dreams and visions to Daniel centuries before they came to pass. 
Now we have the luxury of being millennia on the other side of these dreams and visions, and we see exactly how they came to pass. And they came to pass so perfectly that for, for centuries, there were men who did not believe Daniel was actually inspired by God because who could write such detailed history hundreds of years before it would happen? Well, a man inspired by God could do that. God can give that to a man. And God did give that to a man. And so Daniel chapter 7 gives us these four kingdoms that, that parallel the, the image in, in Daniel chapter 1. And in Daniel chapter 8, now it is the Persians and the Greeks because, because by the third year of Belshazzar, we're getting close to the overthrow of the Babylonian kingdom. All right, any questions about that? I know that's a lot, but any thoughts there? Okay. So let these... Sure. I believe absolutely it, it, it is. And, and the persecution, I mean, you can go through, we'll get there in, in our timeline, but uh, Rome horribly persecuted the church. They didn't at first. At first it was the Jews who persecuted the church, and Rome actually protected the church. But by the time Nero comes, Nero begins persecution, uh, and then there were, there were waves. There were like ten waves of persecution through uh, through the Roman Empire and, and the, the church. Uh, and I do believe that they knew these scriptures. This is the scripture they had. They didn't have a New Testament. When Jesus uh, was crucified, when he was resurrected, when he ascended, the only scripture they had what were the Old Testament scriptures. And by the way, they believed, they were looking for their Messiah because they believed Daniel. Because they knew the math in Daniel. They knew the Messiah would be born at the time that he was to be born. That's why the wise men were watching. They were watching. They were looking. That's why Jesus was the most popular name for baby boys at that time. Because it, Yeshua. Because it means God saves. I mean, they knew he would be the Savior. And every Jewish mother wanted her little boy to be the Messiah who would save the nation. Okay, so then do you think that it is basically inaccurate for us to just dismiss that kind of idea outright and say, Jesus wasn't coming to destroy the Roman Empire, he was coming to destroy a different thing altogether. Do you think it's accurate when we talk that that he was coming to destroy the Roman Empire? I'm thinking, you know, we've said things like, you know, Jesus didn't come to destroy the Roman Empire. He came to destroy the Satan's empire. Well, according to Daniel, he did. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think it's 
actually what Christ did when he, when he came and, and when um, Christianity mm -hmm. was introduced in this way, it actually did destroy, eventually destroy the Roman Empire. Do you think that would yeah. be a better way to talk about it, in, you know, where it's like a slow process versus quick process? Or do you think, do you understand what I'm asking? I'm not sure. So we sometimes talk about how, like, the, the Pharisees, they all thought Jesus would come to destroy the Roman Empire. They're looking at Daniel. Yes, yes. And we say, no, he wasn't. He was coming to destroy, you know, something else. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so I I think I think there those are both wrong ways to look at it. So yes, he did come to destroy the Roman Empire. The reason I believe that is because it's exactly what it shows us here in Daniel. And he did, but he just he did not do it the way they understood. And so that's why I took us back to John chapter twelve. He judged the world, he cast the rule of this world out. The Pharisees were looking for a military leader to militarily overthrow the Romans. Jesus overthrew the Romans. He just didn't do it the way that they thought it was going to be done. And he didn't. And so we look at the Pharisees kind of squinty eyed like you guys, you know, missed it. But here we are today in our own world still missing it because I don't think I think there's large portions of the church that aren't discerning the scriptures correctly because we're looking for a rapture. We're looking to, to be taken out of here and Jesus to come back and conquer everybody. When we do that, we're just like the Pharisees who are looking for a Messiah to come and do that. When in reality, Jesus has already done it. The rock has already come. The mountain is growing. It is growing into the kingdom that will never be destroyed. And we are the ones who are commanded to go out and to disciple the nations. How was Rome ultimately overthrown? I mean, how did Rome go from a place of making sport out of crucifying Christians? So the Appian Way is 141 miles from the sea to Rome. And Nero lit the Appian Way with Christians on crosses and he made torches out of them at night. You could walk that road lit up by burning Christians. I mean, that's horrendous. But yet that same empire went from that to Constantine passing an edict that says, no longer will you, will you persecute Christians. Not only that, Christianity is the, is the religion of the empire. There's a lot of people who say, well, that was horrible of Constantine to do that. But in a sense... Uh, God used Constantine to spread the gospel throughout the world, literally throughout the world. And that's not a bad thing because that gospel will, will save people eternally. We should have left those poor pagans to, to have their own religion. We shouldn't force Christianity on them. Oh, well, just let them go ahead and live and die and go to hell. Is that what we're saying? That's what we're saying. And so I can say Jesus overthrew the Roman Empire and we have the proof of it because by the time we get to about 315 AD, Constantine is promoting Christianity throughout the world with all of his influence. And, and that, that was God working through that 
human instrument, just like God works through all these human instruments. So we need to understand how God, this is our point of going through the timeline. We need to understand how God works in history. How has God worked in history? The same way he's working in history right now. How has the kingdom grown through history? The same way it's growing right now. And if you consider, yes, No, the feet's gone. The feet's been ground to powder, blown away by the rock, cut out without hands. Okay, so what you're saying is um, the mountain of, of, of God. Where the knowledge of the glory of God fills the earth as the waters cover the sea. Yes. Where the city of God will transform the cities of men. So what's happening with our culture today in such disarray and, and mm-hmm. rule of evil, that is, is falling away? Or what it, I mean, just in... in that's, a gr- that's a great question. Total, you know, depravity. And evil. Yeah. So it can look like that. And it's not... Remember my example of the stock market. We can have a crash that's horrible and lose thousands of points in the stock market. But if we look at the stock market in its history, what direction is it going? It's going up. And now the crash we have today that's catastrophic is, is at such a higher level. So it's not that we don't have ups and downs. I, I love your question because I just had a conversation with a person today about this very thing uh, in... Um, So I, I really believe what we're experiencing in our culture, and I will admit it is dark, it's bad uh, in many ways, but I believe it is God working to awaken his church. Why are we having problems in the culture? We're having problems in the culture because of the church, because the church has not preached the gospel, because the church doesn't know what love is. Because the church believes that Jesus would do nothing to offend anybody. I read articles. I read things all the time about it. Um, You know, I was just talking to someone yesterday about uh, the Anabaptist movement. The Anabaptist movement's all about peace. And, And, you know, what do you do with Jesus who said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword to divide father from son and mother from daughter? And there's a way we can read that. And misunderstand what Jesus is saying. But what he's saying is the gospel will divide people. And so who are we, what are we to do as Christians? Well, we are to stand up and proclaim the gospel even when it's not popular. Do we, and we have a precedence in history that the gospel can be so unpopular that they will make a torch out of you for sport just to get rid of you. And if we think those days can't come back, My dad was in World War II where they killed six million Jews and other people just because of who they were. If we think that those days can't come back, they can't come back. They will come back. God will allow them to come back if his church does not wake up and stand up and begin to do the things he's commanded her to do in Scripture. 
And so I think the things we're, we're experiencing right now is, is the grace of God to wake his church up, to make us see, because the church is in large part, it's in denial. It is in denial. I talked to a gentleman today who's going to a church who's considering coming to our church, and he, his church basically is, is, a, is a two kingdom church. So if you don't know what the two kingdom uh, is, Basically, people who adhere to the two kingdom doctrine believe that there's the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. And we shouldn't have anything to do with the kingdom of man. We shouldn't run for office. We shouldn't try to influence that. That's, that's going to do, and then God's going to deal with that. We're just going to be focused on the kingdom of God until God takes us out of here. I'm like, where do you find that in the Bible? I don't, I don't even know how you can get that doctrine from the Bible, but there's a lot of churches who who believe that doctrine. So they don't want to do anything to rock the political boat. They don't want to touch those things because that's the other kingdom. And we're in this kingdom. What I read from Daniel is the kingdom that God's going to send, that, that stone that's going to turn into a mountain, it's going to crush and grind all the other kingdoms to powder and blow them away. And that kingdom is going to fill the earth. Not in heaven, but on the earth. The two kingdom people believe our goal is to get to heaven. And that's where we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. But here, this belongs to man. This is man's dominion. Let him have it. That's a problem. This is why our nation is in the mess it's in. Because the church has not, I believe, rightly divided the word of, of God. And while we've been waiting for raptures and all the kinds of things that, that I've been... You know, I came to faith in 1984, so you can imagine... When I came to faith in Christ in 1984, it was just going to be four years and we're out of here. Because that was 40 years after 1948. 40 years marks a generation. Well, guess what came and went? Yeah. 70 years. Well, if by reason of strength, 70 years, 70 years can mark a generation. Guess what? We've passed the 70-year mark. Now we've got people saying, if by reason of strength, 80 Okay, maybe the rapture will happen in 80, but I'm not going to bet anything on it because I don't think it will. Because the only rapture I believe we're going to experience is when the Lord Jesus comes to this earth. We're going to be called up to meet him the same way. Now, we have a precedence in scripture about this. When Jesus made his triumphal entry as the king coming into Jerusalem, riding on that colt, as was foretold by the prophet. Your king shall come riding on a colt. What happened when the king was approaching his city? The city came out to meet him. And the procession came back to Jerusalem. That's the catching away that we're going to experience one day. When the Lord comes, we're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds, in the air. Not to go off to heaven, but to come back to this earth where he will rule and reign for all eternity in this consummated earth where heaven and earth will come together. When Jesus comes back, he's bringing heaven with him and everyone who's in heaven. And we're going to be caught up to meet him, to meet our king, and we're going to come back and we're going to rule and reign with him and live with him as and in the new Jerusalem on this earth. Yeah. This is about how we love and glorify Christ in our lives will directly affect what we will be doing 
Yeah, I do. I believe what we do here is going to impact what we do in the kingdom. Yeah, I do. I believe that. This is not just time wasted here. That's why we should take our lives so seriously. This is not just time wasted. This is our time of visitation. We make a difference. We make an eternal difference here. Uh, but only God knows the extent of that because this is his story, remember? So we very often, and we embrace theologies that make us the center of the story. I'm not the center of the story. He is the author. He is the center of the story. I'm just privileged to even be written into the story to have a part. And you know that you are because you have, this is your time of visitation on the earth to bring about that glorious kingdom that is filling the earth right now. What we do makes a difference. And so... Mm-hmm. Tomorrow I plant a tree today. And it, makes, it made me think of, you know, the idea that Jesus, Yeshua, was the popular name because he was going to be the one to lead his people into this promised land and this new rest. And it made me think of in mm. the Old Testament, you know, as the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and as they are promised entrance into their land. God tells them, I will not drive the people out I will not drive them out in one year. I will do it little by little as you increase so you can inherit the land and that the land does not become desolate for you. There is, somebody brought this point up and I thought it was excellent. He said, when we look at society right now, we can think of it as a post-Christian society because things are so dark, we are kind of you're seeing a resurgence of like earthy, tribal, straight up paganism, like unsophisticated paganism. Hmm. We're seeing that resurge and as easy as we can think of it as post-Christian, we can think of it as pre-Christian. We can think of it as that is the promised land that is inhabited by defeated nations that we are conquering, mm-hmm. that we that is promised to us. The nations are the inheritance of Christ, and therefore they are our inheritance in Christ. And Jesus tells us this. Mm-hmm. We will, the meek will inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. And when we follow Christ, we are looking at, that's, I, in my view, we're looking at that same yeah. kind of slow process like we see with the mountain in Daniel, but we also see it in Yes, and we need to keep in mind, you know, we, we see we, all this that we're reading. We see these kingdoms rise and they fall and other kingdoms take them over. Listen, nowhere does God promise us that America will never be destroyed. And we're living in a nation that rightly deserves God's judgment. We've overseen uh, over 60 million babies murdered in this nation since 1973. And if we don't think that's going to, that God's just going to look past that. And so we get, I think we, we, we get mixed up a little bit when we see horrible things happening in America. And we think, well, you know, this is bad. Well, 
it may just be God's judgment on this nation because he's had so much grace on this nation for so long. Uh, maybe uh, his grace now is to allow us to experience these things so that his church will rise up. I mean, maybe his grace is that America will be ground It may be. That's exactly right. Because his grace was that Babylon was ground to powder, Greece was ground to powder, Persia, Greece, Rome, ultimately to bring about what? To bring about his kingdom. So, you know, this, this is not about America. I'm thankful I live in America. I love this nation. I want this nation to prosper and be blessed by God. But we also need to realize this is a wicked nation. It's wicked. And, and the only hope this nation has is Jesus. And we are the people who have that hope. And we need to make it known. And God didn't put us here just to let this nation go to hell. That was the whole argument with Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the Jews. Jeremiah and Ezekiel said, go to Babylon, pray for the peace of the city. That's what they told the Jews. Pray for the peace of Babylon. What? Are you crazy? These are the guys that came and overthrew us and killed us and destroyed us. Why would we pray for their peace? Yet that's what God told them to do. Pray for the peace of the city. Pray for the peace of Babylon. Go there, build homes, plant vineyards, marry, have families, have children, because you're going to be there for a while. So work for the prosperity of this nation. And we didn't get to it today, but we will next week because we didn't get to the timeline. But when, when, when the Jews go back, when they're released from their captivity, there was only... Uh, there were less than 50,000 Jews that went back to Jerusalem. The rest of them stayed in Babylon because they had developed lives there. They had built homes and businesses and developed relationships. Less than 50,000 Jews went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and ultimately rebuild that city. Uh, there was a second wave that went later, but the point is many of those Jews, if not most of them, stayed where they were. And they worked for the peace of those nations. And that's what we are to do here. How do we do that? We do that by obeying Christ, making disciples, preaching the gospel, fading the heat when we're unpopular because only the truth will set men free.